Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and beer is our one true love. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys. And this week, we are continuing our study of plague-themed literature by reading Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabrielle Garcia Marquez. And Nate, starting with a beer. This is from Finback, and it is called Grapefruit Crush. And it is a double IPA with grapefruit. This is part of a series they've done. There's been, we've had pineapple crush before. To prepare for the end times, I bought a few kegs to stock up and I got Crush Together, which is one with a bunch of fruits, which we'll have on an episode soon, I'm sure. Uh, it is very nice. Yeah. It's only a little bit grapefruity. It's definitely not as grapefruity as uh, Elvis Juice. By Brewdog, which I've had quite a lot of, but it is, uh, I like grapefruit, so I wouldn't mind if it's more grapefruit, but if, you know, if you don't like grapefruit, you'd probably still like this. So it's more like, instead of being grapefruity, it's like grape curious? Precisely, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, the book, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, (laughs) that's what we're here to talk about. Love of the Type of Cholera is, uh, came out, what, in the 80s? 1985. And in Spanish, and then 1988 in English. It took a long time to translate because it's very long. <laughs> it took a hundred years of solitude to translate it. Is that what you're saying? Thereabouts. I'm, I'm surprised it took that long to translate since he had won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1982. So he was already a huge figure in the literary world. I'm surprised that it took three years for them to get an English translation together but it is a really dense book and I'm sure it was not easy to translate at all. So, okay, it is a pretty complicated story where a lot of stuff happens. The first chapter opens sort of like very... So the story is told out of order. So it starts off with kind of the end and then chapter two goes back to like the beginning. So chapter the first chapter is the 1920s or right around there, it doesn't really say. And the fictionalized city of Cartagena, Colombia, uh, and talking about the life of... Wait, what? Cartagena is a real real city? Okay, so this is a... That is a real city, but I'm just saying he didn't use the exact real city as a setting. He kind of made a fantasy dream Uh, version of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he... And so, notice he never actually says where it takes place. He never says the name of the city. And yeah. he never even says the name of the country, even though he talks about politics kind of a lot. Like, you know, the liberals versus the conservatives and like in the ongoing multiple civil wars and the... I really wish I knew more about Colombian history. And by more, I mean any when I read this, because I was like, yeah, I guess there was this civil war there for a century, which it probably was, but I had no context. And I guess that's one of the things that, you know, his initial audience of, you know, Spanish-speaking uh, people from Latin America would have been much more familiar with. It's something we just don't learn here. Is Colombia where FARC is? Isn't that that stupid word from that uh, dumb sci-fi show? That's frack. Ah, right. right. <laughs> That's how you get gas, Jimmy. You yes. <laughs> natural gas. Uh, so Very anyway, natural. so uh, the, the first part introduces one of the main characters, which is Dr. Urbino, who is at this point 80 years old. 
Although a lot of the story is going to go back to him as a much younger man and all the characters much younger, like 50 years before. And he's like the most preeminent citizen of the city because he's both a doctor who actually specializes in cholera and fighting cholera. I mean, especially in like the 1870s, that was, you know, a really big deal. He's also the most fastidious man, and he's on the board of, like, the cultural society and the historical society and, you know, the health department and all these things. And he also teaches surgery. He still does all these things at 80 years of old, 80 years of age. He teaches surgery. He also uh, still makes house calls as a physician. And also... This man, Dr. Juvenal Urbino, wrote back that ass up. Juvenal? <laughs> <laughs> I had to get it out of the way because I would be th- thought about it the entire book. <laughs> <laughs> um, I couldn't name, I'm really trying to think of another song. He only song had one song. Juvenal. He only had one song. Yeah. So it starts at the end of his life, but then at the next chapter, it goes back to where he backs those years up to the beginning. <laughs> Yes, he does. Uh, so anyway, he's going around the city. He's like making house calls. But what happens right at the beginning is one of his best friends has killed himself. Uh, who and I thought this was going to be a much bigger part of the book, but it wasn't. Anyway, that ends so, up being oh, true he, of he a lot of the book. Investigating it, but then through a so anyway, he goes to see the the not the widow, just like his secret girlfriend who he didn't even know about. Uh, and then find out that, yeah, he just, he was an old guy. He just didn't want to live that long. And then Dr. Urbino goes home and tries to chase a parrot up a tree and then like has a heart attack and dies. Boom. End of chapter one. But that's like 75 dense pages. Yes. It was quite a lot. A lot of Because stuff he can't just there. tell you he has a parrot and you'd be like, all right, yeah, the guy's got a lot of hobbies. He's got a parrot too. But that one time, the president of the country came by, and he spent two hours trying to get the parrot to speak for the president, but the parrot was being a real shithead and wouldn't do it, and it was embarrassing, and then he also changed his trousers, and, like, it's so much detail. Yeah. And they had to kill all the pets once because of rabies, but he's, and then he's like, you can't ever have anything here that doesn't speak again. She's like, I'll get a parrot then. Ha, you stupid bitch. God. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know it sounds and like he a ended criticism. up really liking the parrot because it was it learned like opera arias or something. It's right? the only thing that agrees with him in the house. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> he even in this first chapter, there's a long section about he and his wife arguing. The longest fight they had over whether or not there was soap in the bathtub or something. Right? Isn't that it? And they like didn't speak for months, mm. and he eventually just said, "You're right." I fucked it up. I left the soap there or whatever. The, it was something about soap. Yeah. Yeah. And she was actually going to like literally leave and move back in the, house, the home and move back in with her father. And he's like, okay, fine. We, there was soap there some of the time. Boom. End of story. <laughs> now, it sounds like a criticism of the book to say like it talks about all this stuff, but I actually really enjoyed reading it. I should just say up front because it somehow didn't feel chorish to read all of that stuff. It was interesting. Probably because it's like one of the prettiest written books I've ever read. Yeah, the language is definitely... There were like several times and I just highlight... I rarely do. I just highlighted a line like, that's really cool. I like that line. That's really clever the way it's phrased. Like, 
like there's one about like the old shitty ships that are still on the sea. Um, and it's just like a throwaway description. Like it doesn't matter at all. It's just like saying there were old boats around, but instead of saying that, he says when he was not occupied with the administration of his decrepit vessels, still afloat out of sheer distraction on the part of fate. I was like, man, that is a really elaborate way to say that. Or when he called that, that one really lady's liked. vagina, the slimy marsh that flowed from her womb. <laughs> well, isn't that what isn't that what a, vagina translates to? Is that what? Yeah, it's, that's, that's from the Latin. That's what it means. Yeah. That's what that word means in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what "choch" means. Okay, <laughs> it's one of those words like it exists in another language, but we don't have a word for it, so it takes a whole sentence to describe it. <laughs> like every German word. Yes. Those are about shitting on people. Most of them. <laughs> Or their inferior blood. <laughs> um, so then the other character we meet at the very end of that first chapter is... Um, fuck is Florentino Arizza. Florentino Arizza. I, I, the whole time I was trying to say their names in my head, but I can't do accents and I never took Spanish class, so they just ended up sounding like Italian stereotypes. Yeah. I'm like, Aframina Dazza. <laughs> like, I couldn't do it. It just sounded like an idiot. Like, it was Super Mario. So Florentino is the other guy. We, we should just say how that came up because it's going to be important. So as uh, literally that the the evening that Dr. Urbino died or like the next day, there's like the wake or it was some like funeral or wake type of thing. And then everybody is there since he's the most preeminent member of the city. Everyone is there to pay respects. And the last person to leave besides his wife, right? Because she's pretty much actually the biggest character of the book. Uh, uh, well, maybe it's Florentino. But anyway, his wife is there, and this man, who you, hasn't been mentioned yet in the book, comes up to her and says, Fermina, I've been waiting 52 years, eight days, seven weeks, something like that, to say that I still love you. And then she screams at him, get out, never come back. I hate you. Never speak to me again. And that's the end of the chapter. He's been playing the long game. And then, uh, Very long I, I didn't, game. I didn't know any of the plot of this book before it. And frankly, there wasn't enough cholera based on what I was expecting. But yeah. the, that happens. And I was like, whoa. I thought, like, the whole time, I'm like, this book is about an old guy who has a parrot. And then like, oh, he's dead. Like, whoa, what's, who is, what's the rest of this about? And then this other guy just comes out of nowhere. I'm like, Holy shit. This, this just like totally took a turn. And that's kind of how every chapter ended for me. You know, it was, let's like learn a whole lot about this thing. And then, and uh, here's a big departure from that new chapter. It's almost like it, it goes, it goes back to the beginning, like of their lives. And then each chapter will kind of backtrack a little bit and overlap with the last one, but from the other person's perspective. So you kind of get like a, every time you're reading from someone's perspective, you're like, wow, this sucks for this person. And then you read it from the other perspective. It's like, oh no, that other guy is full of shit. Which, if, you're, if you have cholera, you actually don't stay full of shit for very long. Speaking of cholera, I have a beer. <laughs> this beer is from Decadent Ales, and it's called Snowball. Because with like any epidemic, things can really snowball. I'm really jealous because I tried to order this and they sold out of it. Because they now deliver directly to your door. But they sold out of this beer. It's, well, I, I got it maybe a week or two ago from the local place, so uh, we'll see what it's like. But it is an imperial stout brewed with coconut, chocolate fudge, and Madagascar vanilla beans. 
Mm, diabetes smells nice. rich, <laughs> like Doctor Urbino's family. Well, back that ass up has a lot of royalty payments. Not enough to keep Tom Steyer's campaign afloat, wasn't that the? Was that the rapper that he yeah, did that thing for with? Some re- for some reason, he, Tom Steyer's a billionaire. He doesn't need contributions from, from juvenile. Juvenile. It's kind of weird. It's kind of got like a almost like a strange fruity aftertaste. Mm-hmm. It's not you know for something that says has straight up fudge in it. It doesn't taste like chocolate fudge at all. It's different. It's much different than you'd expect. It's not bad. Oh, how much? How strong is it's this? It's a big how beer, do... isn't it? Like twelve and a half or something like oh, that. Oh my god, it is. Okay, I'll take my time with this one. Ooh. Oh, then we learned about Florentino's entire life, and then the, yeah, it jumps. Man. It jumps back to the time when Florentino, because in the at the end of the book or at the end of first chapter one, he was also an old as fuck man in his like mid to late seventies. And now it jumps back to the time he was 18 or something. Yep. It's not, yeah. A something very like that. young man. And then he sees a, you know, 15 year old or 16 year old Fermina for the first time. And then instantly he's in love with her. Like for the rest of his life, but like so in love with her. And he. And not at all in uh, a creepy way. Yeah. And he based, and he goes home. He's so, like, not upset, but just so, like, you know, emotional. He goes home, and he's throwing up, and he's shitting everywhere, and he has the symptoms of cholera, except it wasn't cholera. It was just love. But also, (laughs) he gets diarrhea because of this, but normally in his life, he has chronic constipation, so he has enemas. I was going to bring that up. This guy is, this guy, I, I, I realized this later on. The band O Town wrote all or nothing about <laughs> this guy's butthole. <laughs> See, I I think a more a slightly still jokey but more uh, real interpretation is that uh, Florentino is cannot help but shit all the time uh, with his enemas and his love, but Doctor Urbino is full of shit uh, later on, so they're all full of shit in their like, their own special way. Hmm. I'm sure that's what the Nobel Prize winning author intended us to take from this. Yeah, there was way too much poop <laughs> in a book for about terminal poops. It's true. Cholera I, gives I, you, I remember, you poop yourself to death. <laughs> I remember later, like near the end of the book, when he said, when the author just threw out, oh, yes, and he was still getting his enemas twice a week. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That was a thing. And he has them done with like one, one of the ladies he gets with, like they have their sensual enemas together. And it's like a fun group activity. Isn't that normal? I mean, it depends what you're into. I mean, that's what we're going to do after we finish recording. After I drink all this, well, all yeah, this I mean, 12.5% stout. <laughs> this goes from a Skype call to more of a Zoom thing, if you know what I'm saying, once I get that enema going. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the Florentino, he like literally um, waits outside of Fermina's house like but uh, in a you know on a bench in the park outside her house like every day just so we can see her he writes her a 60 page love letter almost like love poem which he really gets into and it's definitely not a manifesto no definitely not and then he's like so incredibly you know like nervous and he eventually he's like should i give it to her do i not give it to her i don't know and he he's a He's a violin player, and he um, composes a song to her. And the song, what was it called again? Something about the crowned goddess? 
Yes. The crown goddess of whatever. Of young hot girl. And then eventually gives it to her. And then through, even though like courtship back then was so tame, it was like, we're going to write notes to each other and never actually see each other in person. But after like a good bit of time of writing notes to each other, he asks her, he, uh, Florentino asks for Mina to marry him. Meanwhile, they're like 18 and 16, and they've pretty much never been face-to-face. But, you know, I guess that's what happened back then. And she says yes. She says yes after her father says that she can't see him anymore because he's just like a poor bastard child from somewhere in the, in the neighborhood, and she, he wants her to marry some rich guy, which she probably can because she's the hottest kid on the block. And the father is a big, uh, he's like big on social climbing, even though he's himself is very mysterious. Like no one knows how he actually has money when he's definitely not from the wealthy landed gentry families, but he's, but he's well off despite not being connected to the long established families that Dr. Urbino, for example, is connected to. And so because she's a 16 year old girl, she's, she, her motivation becomes, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. Dad. You're not my real dad. <laughs> but then... But he is. When he, when he finds out, <laughs> yeah, he yeah. sends her away. Well, he, he, find, he sends the ant away to die in a leper colony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, the ant who was the go-between gets sent away, and then Fermina has to wait years to find out what happens to her, happened to her, and he finds out she died in a leper fucking asylum. <laughs> Tons of fun, man. That was like his sister. He really. Shit. I think it was. I think it was his uh, sister-in-law, the mother, the, uh, sis- the, mom the sister was dead of. Or yeah, she, I think she died in childbirth. I don't know. It doesn't. Really she died very young, or in childbirth. I don't remember. But yeah, and so he sends the sister away because she was. You know, she told the girl like, "You should say yes because if you say no, you will all. You might always regret it." She's like, "All right, that's a good reason. It's not. It's really not." Jimmy, that has worked on me ones of times with the ladies. <laughs> it's a good enough reason sometimes. <laughs> All right. So, Mike, what are you uh, drinking today? Well, this is actually right about uh, time for this beer. So this is from Evil Twin, New York, who is also delivering beer to your house now, by the way. In fact, they got so many UPS orders that they just closed their tap room just to handle the shipping orders. And I... Wow. Bought a few hundred cans the other day, so I should. Uh, this is called. He's not joking. Mike is expecting this uh, thing to go on for years. No, no, I, no I, or I, at least I a got week enough for the next three three weeks. So I'll be good. <laughs> uh, this is called. Ever since I moved to New York City, my wardrobe has shifted to mostly black because um, some of the characters are pretty depressed at this point in the book. And you also you tend to wear black when you're depressed. Florentino pretty much just wears black all the time. It's true. So it applies to him as well. He is a shitty goth kid. Yeah, he just writes poems <laughs> and stalks people and has long bangs in front of his face. Uh, this is a double dry hopped triple India pale ale. That's 10% alcohol that has Yukonot, cryo, and mosaic and kohatu hops in it. Sounds very I like that word. Samoan to me. Kohatu. It is... It's really good. It is uh, super citrusy, like pineapple almost flavors. 
uh, from the hops. Tropical fruit really comes through, and it's very got a nice sweet background. No bitterness really at all. It's wonderful. Sounds lovely. I want it in me. Yeah. I hope it doesn't have cholera in it. Does that mean it has poop in it? That's how you get <laughs> yeah. cholera from poop. Someone pooping in your mouth. Just drinking poop water, which was the only water they had apparently in Cartagena. Also, when and you fart called... on someone's pillow, is basically an assassination. <laughs> uh, upper decking a toilet was a p- crime punishable by death then <laughs> your own death that was what caused the civil wars <laughs> <laughs> these bastards took upper decker at the president's toilet <laughs> the liberals <laughs> oh the liberals always shitting on everything <laughs> Yeah, when they when they'd execute you for these crimes, they would, instead of saying fire, someone would just say, "Hey, pull my finger," and then <laughs> and then you die three weeks later. Hard, <laughs> shitting uncontrollably and uh, and vomiting. So Fermina and her dad leave town. He's like, "Fuck this, we're going out of town," and they go to see her cousins, who are basically hillbillies, out in the jungle. And they says, "I'm going to hang out here with this." chick for like a few months while she gets her shit together and forgets about this boy because she's 16 and that makes actual sense in a way but you know unbeknownst to him they're still telegraphing doesn't she send her hair to the before she leaves she cuts off her hair and gives it to him and he spends the next 50 years masturbating with it yeah because she had a really (laughs) long thing i think he like chokes himself with it sometimes probably Oh, absolutely. You know, he's definitely... After 50 years of masturbating, you're going to get into some weird stuff. Well, I mean, he might not need to masturbate based on the prodigious amounts of women he bangs, despite being a pale, uggo, goth kid. Who's constipated and wearing a hair-braid <laughs> cock ring. After, like, a year or two, Formina comes back to the city, and... uh Even though Florentino and Fermina have been writing each other letters, when she sees him, she says, like, I feel like we're still we're still strangers. We can't do this. Don't ever see me again. You just like she completely changes her mind. Her first thought to herself when she's him is like him. (laughs) Yeah. It's like with, he's he's kind of a really creepy, weird. pasty, weird guy. I don't really like this. Oh man, I got to stop listening to My Chemical Romance. And he keeps chugging Pepto Bismol and X-Lax, <laughs> and, <they're> like, <laughs> and he is like so obviously so sad. And for like the rest of the book, more about him later. But then uh, Doctor Urbi, a very young, you know, twenty something, Doctor Urbino. Dr. Urbino, who's, mm. you know, just come back from... Do you remember being med- that young, Nate? Med school in Paris, you know? <laughs> it was uh, almost two was centuries ago. Was it during the gold rush? <laughs> it was during the... Nate? Not not cholera, but Black Plague. So, <laughs> like, it's it's a pretty distant memory, yeah. You know, I remember when this hot, hot, young 28-year-old doctor came into town, cured us of cholera in 1884. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> Dr. Urbino is like the doc is like the main doctor. He's also from one of the preeminent families and he sort of, you know, does all these cultural things. He he studied in France. He's like the cutting edge medicine where it's like 
you you smoke a cigarette and eat a baguette while you operate without washing your hands <laughs> and, and after he, doing he an autopsy without washing your hands you use the baguettes to staunch the bleeding yeah. <laughs> yo it's oh, yeah. all the blood yeah and you put the cigarette out to stop the bleeding when you're done cauterize the wound yeah, yeah. it's very you efficient just surrender to the disease anyway <laughs> but he comes back and he says like the old the doctors in Colombia are all basically still practicing like voodoo witch doctor nonsense. They all still believe in all this traditional nonsense or like, you know, the cure for cholera is like, I forget what stupid thing they say. Oh, it's fire cannons every so often because the cannon clear the air keeps it clear as, and he's like, no dude, you just need to stop drinking shit toilet water. And I'm like, I don't know. Agree to disagree. That yeah. It's like, should we maybe clean out that port that's full of dead bodies and and toilet poop? And they're like, no, we need that. And and all the that's where the meetings take place. All the corpses from the slaughterhouse are just dumped in the pits along with all the human shit, and then just like flows out into the bay. And it's like, maybe we should clean that up. And people are like, no. So, um. Doctor, uh, okay, at one point when Farmina is sick, the family is terrified that she has cholera. So they call the cholera doctor and the he, Dr. Urbino, and he comes to her house and this is where they meet the first time. And she's like, and she's, you know, all shy and stuff like that. But he's like, you must take off your shirt. Whip him out. I'm, I'm a, a doctor. Yeah. Yep. And so he's literally like, <laughs> basically like op- rips open her shirt and then, because stethoscopes hadn't been invented yet, he has to, like, put his ear right up to her chest. And then he's like, nope, not cholera. You're fine. You'll be okay. Because that's what being a doctor was like. Must have been, been kind of cool. Had its, had its benefits. Well, it, well, being a doctor definitely has benefits for him later. The, um, the, the stethoscope was actually invented by a doctor who felt uncomfortable putting his head against women's tits. I'm not even making that up. That's actually why it was invented. If Jimmy had said that, I would not believe him, but... And every other doctor was like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> no, I swear that's true. He's like, no, man, I'm a butt man. <laughs> <laughs> and he got cholera. No. <laughs> Farted into his ear? Did I need you to cough? And then he pronounces... <laughs> so Dr. Urbino uh, pronounces Fermina, like, doesn't have cholera... She'll be, she'll be okay. And then comes back, you know, two days later, three days later, just unannounced, just to kind of see her again, but makes up a stupid medical reason. And then definitely clearly wants to marry her. And after a little while, they do. They, she's decides well, her, to marry him because she's at, she's an old maid of pressure. 20. That is, yeah. But the father's like, this is your chance. And she's like, no, gross, but eventually she kind of just does it because that's what you did back then. Also, he was a rich dude, and that helps. But also it says that, uh, what was it, Urbino says he he doesn't love her either. He just likes that she's kind of spunky. And she's, you know, got good boobs. So that. that's all he needs. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, I could see myself loving her one day, but she's kind of a bitch, and I like that. Yeah. Well, because he's used to all the proper proper hussies who are all focused on used to women serving wear and shit like that. Yeah, and she's got her own mind. 
So anyway, at this point, so they decide to get married. And then a huge next part of the book is actually, well, okay, it goes back and forth between Florentino and then Fermina, and Florentino and then Fermina. So Florentino is, of course, devastated, or he continues to be devastated. He gets his aunt or his mom or whoever is, like, raising him, sends him away on a riverboat to say, you need to get out of the city. You'll never forget her if you just stay here. Sends him away on a riverboat like up the river because it's his uncle's, his uncle Leo the Twelfth's uh, shipping company, like riverboat company. Yeah, the, the papal uncles. Yeah, he's got these. This was kind of really funny, even though it didn't matter in the least bit. All of his uncles are named after popes. So his fa- both his father and his uncles are all named after popes. So in his uncle Leo the Twelfth, <laughs> that's just his name. <laughs> <laughs> he's not the Pope. He's just his random uncle who owns the like shipping company, sends him to uh, go up river. And at this point in time, uh, uh, Florentino is like, I'm, I'm saving myself for her. I need to say, I need to stay pure. Even though his like previous boss, like brings him to the whorehouse. And he's like, no, no, I'm a German guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to do any of that. But I am going to watch the German guy who used to put snake venom on his dick because he had a tiny dick and it would make the woman feel weird. I wasn't sure. Did he have a small dick or not? Yeah, he was a fat guy uh, with a baby dick. The language is so flowery sometimes. I wasn't sure how the penis was being described, but he would coat it in poison. Yeah, which is a... I don't know how he got to that point or how he figured out that that works. But that's what he did. A lot of ho- took a lot of horse, a lot of horse. <laughs> we well, just spent there. all of his time there. But there are like peepholes in the walls, and he's yeah, allowed they're called to glory just... holes, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> but so Florentino is allowed to basically watch whatever he wants. He won't partake in any. But he would though. also just he would just hang out and like read his love poetry, though. Or it was just a place he stayed. He's like, I'm just going to hang out and not fuck whores at the whorehouse. Oh, but then he's on the riverboat cruise, and then an exciting thing happens to him. A, this is like middle of the night. A, he's just walking on the deck, and then a door opens, and a, literally a woman grabs him, yank, uh, like, yanks him into her like, bedroom in the, her cabin and fucks him. And at this point, he had been trying to stay pure, but this happened, like, you know, all in the space of a minute. And you know what? I have a beer for that. And he, he, wasn't, he wasn't like, oh, no. He was more like, wow, that was kind of cool. <laughs> Let me go bank 600 more women now. Yeah, he basically <laughs> did. This beer is called Everybody Wants Some. Eh. It is a triple dry hopped triple IPA from Poof Hearted. That's nine times. It it is nine point two percent alcohol. So yeah, oh, it's a little low to call it a triple. Is there like a range that's permissible for each one? Uh, is that how it works? So I think uh, I think it only matters in terms of competitions. Really, like you could put kind of whatever label you want on it, right? But what I've noticed, they like Dog um, Evil Twin, McKellar, Finback, the breweries around us that do a lot of IPAs that we see. They tend to do, they call it a double once you hit like 8%, and then they'll call it a triple once you get 
to double digits, 10% plus. But it's just, it's kind of like whatever you want to call it. Just like some breweries will call it a stout and others call it a porter, but it's basically the same fucking thing. How is it, Nate? This is very nice. It is, it is very good. Uh, it is, it, it doesn't say New England IPA, but it's clearly in, in that sort of vein because it's not like super bitter. In fact, it's very sweet. I would say it's, it's definitely very sweet. So yeah, this is, this is very nice way to go. I, everybody's going to want some of this if they get to try it. Now, are there like pictures of Van Halen on the can? Cause that's totally a Van Halen song. And a lot, I've seen their cans before and they're all like eighties rock star looking cartoons. It is. They're definitely Van. It's definitely Van Halen, except it's not people. They're like cookies. Here, I'll show you the I'll, I'll I'll show you the can art. If you can see, there's uh oh yeah, he's that's definitely weird. he definitely has a like Van Halen. That, that's the guitar, Van Halen guitar. Except not because that's more like a explorer and not that's a, an explorer, uh, yeah, super strat. But it's strat. still in that same color. And then there's a drummer. I don't know what that guy. He's just oh, that's the singer. I get and it. a bass player. No one cares about. It's like Van he's Halen. On back, he's on the back of the can. And then for also on the side of the can, there's just this dude. There's a surgeon putting a chicken cutlet on a tray with a spatula. You know what? Maybe they're like slices of meatloaf or something. I don't even. I don't. But he definitely why. looks like a surgeon because he's that. This that makes no sense. None of it makes sense. But all right, kind of like Van Halen lyrics. So Florentino having. Banged a lady now decides I'm going to bang every woman in the world, but just until Fermina's ready for me. Exactly. Like he definitely is like, I will always love Fermina. I will always be true to her, except I'm just going to fuck everybody. And he does like, like the whole city, (laughs) like every woman in the city. He just has all of these, uh, the rest a lot of the rest of his chapters are just like crazy his crazy exploits of this plowing through the people this woman who's like been a widow for three years and she's like i just well his his mom hooks him up with that lady she's like hey why don't you go the, the widow check out or whatever you know and he yeah. has to ha, can't stop talking so she has to use a pacifier while they're fucking and then yeah that was creepy that part yeah there's a lot of weird shit. And then this like other uh other woman who he they're like fucking on a riverboat, uh, I guess as you do. And then he there's some paint and he writes on his stomach, "This is mine." <laughs> and he writes, then she This is my pussy or something yeah, like that. Basically. Yeah. Or uh, with a down arrow, I think. And then she goes home her boyfriend or husband sees it and then husband. slits her throat. Whoops. Yeah. Oopsie. Like, Whoa. That's, I thought that I was pretty confident that was mine. And there was also the, uh, Maybe not. the, the girl he meets on the donkey cart. Who's like, I'm a crazy person. She's like, huh, that's funny. And they go dancing. Oh, in the streets, the, like, and they find out she's an escaped asylum patient who beheaded two guards on the way out. And they've got her back. And then he goes to the prison to be like, try and see her again. But she never does. Like, you know she beheaded two guards, dude. Imagine what she'll do to your dick. Yeah. She, nothing's off limits. Full circumcision. <laughs> she will break your dick off. That's what he was thinking. 
he was looking for he after like I don't I mean I can only imagine after dozens hundreds of women you, you you get you get into you need something more exciting and he's like oh the 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 proximity to to, to death and maybe anal later on it's like it says uh after fifty years he had. He fills these notebooks with every lady he banged, like a real weirdo. Like Don Juan. And he says they had 622 serious relationships, not including all the, you know, just randos. Jesus. I don't know if he has time for anything else. To there's, run no, there's no internet yet. The ri- <laughs> well, yeah. To run the riverboat company. But yeah, also no internet. And there were no podcasts to listen to, so, you know. So then, you know, it, it goes through, while he's banging everything that walks, and some that don't, probably... Uh, it goes back and forth. Not with, when he's throwing uh, them. No, it doesn't. It goes back to uh, Fermina and her husband, Juvenile, and their relationship marriage and the weird stuff. And, you know, how they grow to love each other slowly, but she's still a little, you know, stubborn, and he still would do anything to just touch her boob. Well, isn't that, isn't that how it works when you're married? <laughs> uh, that's, that's... Yes. Though there was that one line I thought it was funny. Uh, I forget who said it, but I think it was probably the doctor. We're talking about like relationships years into marriage. Says, After 10 years of marriage, women had their, had, had their periods as often as three times a week. So yeah. Like, oh, I can't bang. I'm on my period. Isn't that also true? <laughs> like you get older, you, yes. get, you get better at it. You can do it more. <laughs> you can you practice. <laughs> practice uh, makes I'm pretty perfect. sure that's how it works, Jimmy. I've been married many years now. I understand. Yeah, it's just a constant. Uh, so there's uh, let's we'll kind of just kind of cut to the closer to the end of the book, where because that's kind of the more important part that happens. I mean, there are all these kind of uh, little stories. So uh, now where you sort of like cut, you sort of jump forward all the way to what you could sort of say was the present day, or at least the 1920s. This is just after. Dr. Urbino has died, and then he's, I forget exactly how, but he writes letters to, uh, so Florentino writes letters to Fermina, like, every day, just like he had when he was, you know, 20, and he writes her these love letters, and then at first she doesn't even want to admit that she actually really likes it. Or at least it, it feels she feels like it's helping her, but she doesn't answer them. She doesn't say anything. And then after months of this, he stops by her house and he said, I, I just wanted to ask, I just wanted to ask uh, when, when maybe I could see you. And she's like, well, you're here now. Oh, oh I can't right now. Cause he's literally then leaves and shits himself like crazy. <laughs> when he finally sees her again, he totally <laughs> shits himself in the cab in the driver is just well, like, does that to you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it shouldn't, that's not good. But eventually they start seeing each other or not, not fucking. They just start like actually like playing bridge or something like that. And then they start to get more used to each other and then he, uh, Florentino, takes Fermina on a riverboat cruise. And at this point, now that they're literally like 70 years old, uh, uh, Florentino has been president of the riverboat company since his uncle Leo the Twelfth died, you know, many years before. 
So he's been, and, but he's never been back up the river. He's never done it again. He's just kind of stayed in the city. So it was like, well, we'll, we'll just take a cruise. And he and Fermina sort of stay in the presidential suite on the riverboat. And they have a very nice time. A very nice a time. very nice time. Though the first time they're going to have sex, he can't get it up. <laughs> Not without that hair braid cock ring. <laughs> yeah. But then the second time, it goes fine. Both minutes are great. Yes. <laughs> uh, he, um... And Love then, and the time it takes to say cholera. <laughs> he, uh, but they get to the end of the riverboat cruise, and they're about to go back the other way when all of these people that know them, or at least know Fermina, are going to get on. And she's like, wait, this was supposed to be our secret. No one's supposed to know this because this is not what a proper widow would do. So uh, Florentino, because he's head of the riverboat company, tells the captain, fly the cholera flag. Don't take anybody, make everybody leave. Don't stop anywhere. We're just, you're just going to take us all the way back to the city and we're, it could be just us, and we're just going to have a nice solo cruise. And he's like, yeah, okay, well, you're the boss. And so he does it. Which is a yellow flag, right? Which is also for, you know, maybe they're into piss stuff. I don't know. So that's, that's the end of the book. I mean, we skipped over most of it because it's just the story of them doing stuff. We, we skipped each over have a, like a quarter. We each have because another beer each. Yeah. I'm going to open my we just gangbang these? We're gonna gang, we're gonna we're gonna Florentino these and just fucking hit every beer. That's what we're gonna do. Just roll roll through them. Just, so who wants to go? Just first? keep track of them. Nate, in a Nate why don't you go first? Oh no, I oh, yeah. I opened both of mine. It's just you two. Oh right, because okay, I did the first so. one. Beer. Right. So this this is a pretty dumb connection, but had to use something. This is this is from um, Divine Barrel Brewing. The first one from them. They're from Charlotte, North Carolina. I went there in February, which uh, feels like a lifetime ago when I went there over that President's Day when weekend. When you could go somewhere. I, I, I still am shocked. Like That was like mid-February. I took a flight with my family, stayed in an Airbnb, took my kid, rented a car, like all these different things that now I would not even imagine doing, and visited like seven breweries. <laughs> and... Among other things we did. Different times. And took no effort at all to like disinfect anything except for the stuff my kid touches because he's a one-year-old. But uh, went to this brewery and bought this back and it's called Spatial Awareness because, you know, when you have cholera, you should probably be aware of uh, how close you are to other people, especially if you're shitting and vomiting uncontrollably. And this is an imperial stout with coffee, cacao nib, uh, cocoa nibs, vanilla, and ancho peppers. Coming in at ten percent alcohol, you really smell the peppers. It has like a vegetable smell. I think anchos are a moderately hot pepper. Isn't it like ancho is like when it's uncooked and once you cook it, it becomes something else? Like the the name for it changes. Um, I maybe do I don't know. There's, there's some some weird thing about that in Spanish stuff where it's like once it's, when it's uncooked, it's called one thing, but when it's cooked, it's called something else. And it's like, oh, I didn't know those were the same thing. So it's a. An ancho is a dried pepper, uh, and it is a poblano pepper. So maybe that's what you're talking about. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, the chilies is from spruceeats.com. The chilies we know as poblano peppers are fresh. Chilies that have been harvested after ripening, which is where green, 
and the dried ones are ancho peppers. There you go. This definitely like has a that grape and a raisin. Pepper. Yes. So how is it? The pepper flavor is in there. Um, the vanilla coffee co- coffee is in there too. It's a pretty solid stout. I wouldn't say it's amazing, but it's a really interesting one. You don't I mean hot pepper stouts are not unheard of, but it's a pretty good one. Uh, I liked. I ain't got nothing on the, the Mexican hot chocolate thing. Uh, I mean, it's in that same category, I guess. Right, the chocolate, coffee, vanilla, peppers, stout. It's the same uh, realm, right? Broad strokes. Like it. It, yeah, I dig it. Uh, I, I bought a four pack of it and brought it home, and uh, well, drink, brought brought one home and uh, drank the rest of them. It's nice. If I ever, if you ever see Divine Barrel, you're down there. It's a really cool tap room. Uh, they had a lot of uh, games to play, like tabletop games that didn't require electronic electricity, like. Things where it was like hooked, like hook toss or hoop toss or whatever, but it's like a tabletop version, so it's like a little like keychain ring on a on a chain, which when you're drinking beers is extremely addictive, and silly mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, so I really dug the beer. Um, sorry, you guys can try it because I don't think we're going to see too much North Carolina beer up here anytime soon. But it'll be a while. But we'll get there one day, or they'll get here one day. Either way, <laughs> love will find a way. So for my final one, this is by Modest Brewing from Minneapolis. That's how you say it, right? Uh, uh, yes. Like that's Millie the Greek way. way. Yeah, yeah, that, that is <laughs> true. Greek. A small there city. Many Greeks, many <laughs> Greeks in Minnesota. Uh, and this is called Dream Yard. This is a hazy, super juicy IPA made from a malt bill of entirely oats and wheat. Okay, that I don't really know what that. That means the same thing. That's no barley. There's no malted barley. There's no barley, oats, and wheat, and then heavily hopped with citra and Denali. That could be really interesting. And at seven, I think Modus was at Pastry Town. Pretty sure they were, and they were one of the bigger ones. That's very nice. It's very nice. I mean, I if you told me this had didn't have barley in it or did, I, I wouldn't notice. I guess, but yeah, there's none. I don't think that makes this. I don't know what, what how that how that makes this different, but there you go. Well, I would imagine the the wheat gives it more of a banana y flavor, or a that's, uh, that's what I usually get like hefeweizen. Slightly, type I think I think it's mostly oats because I don't get any banana stuff. And the oats must give it a really. I mean, you're drinking it out of the can. It looks like or sounds like um, if they if you poured it into the can, I bet that would have the the densest head you've ever seen like a like a blow jobbing nor, uh, black hole star like <laughs> it had one when i opened the can yeah it was just like foom just the densest head That's so much imagery in that <laughs> much like just this book sucks the dicks into it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but this is is good so props to you small polis so everybody likes this book and they showed it was really good. I couldn't help but think about while I was reading it. I couldn't help but think about the brief, wondrous life of Oscar Wow. And that, mm. oh, there yeah. were definitely some similarities. Also, because it's one of the only other pieces of you know Latin American literature I've ever read. So it's probably the other reason why I thought it was similar. But you know, not only is love one of the uh, uh, main themes of both of these two books. So that had that similarity, but also I felt like uh, 
Oscar and Florentino were actually kind of similar, or at least they're both a very uh, obsessive personality type. Yeah, 100%. They're both writers. Like, Oscar was a writer, right? But he wrote, like, nerd shit. I believe so. His, his shit was all sci-fi, Lord of the Rings kind of stuff. And, and Florentino was definitely a writer. I mean, he was writing all those love poems to the point where people would actually go and pay him to write love poems for their, you know, to their other person. The but but he would like get. pretend he would like change his handwriting so that it, it wouldn't people it would, people would think it's from them. And he never actually won the poetry competition. But anyway, so I thought that that those were kind of similar. But he did do that one couple, the one couple he wrote both of their letters to each other. <laughs> Yeah. And then he became the godfather of their child. <laughs> and what was that? The fucking Asian guy. That was an uncomfortable passage with the, the Chinese immigrant wins the poetry contest. And they're all like, no, he like, can't That can't win. be. It's he must, shit. must have faked it. He must have paid somebody to write it for him. But The Chinese can't his, write. His poem eats bats. <laughs> they're much better dogs. at doing dry cleaning. Literal he, quote from the book. Yeah, it was actually dogs, which is what mentioned in the book. Even though the it's sort of like the book is too long because there are all these things you don't like need to know about and just kind of like too much happens, I guess you could say. But still, I didn't mind it. I mean, I really didn't. I thought it was really nice and like funny at a lot of places. It was funny. The, the language is so clever, you know, like the descriptions of things were not what you're used to reading about. Like they were not, not the same kind of way you're used to hearing them described, but it never felt forced and pretentious. It just felt like, Oh man, that's a really fresh way to describe that. You know? And, and so I don't mind reading this long flowery way of talking about the way a fucking chair sat in the room or something like that, because it's described in a way that's new. It was kind of like, uh, almost well, not exactly, but like almost like a fairy tale, but with way more banging. Uh, a bit magical, definitely. Just kind of like a the the yeah. Well, he's kind of known for that. That's his shtick. It's magical so, realism, I thought, but it, there really wasn't much direct in that. I kept waiting for that to like kick in in this one. And I think it, it was just that, a magical yeah, amount of shitting. <laughs> there was <laughs> a lot. It was truly truly. Like, there was no physical reason there could be that much poop. It had to be magic. It's symbolism, dude. <laughs> That's how literature works. Oh, we left out how he uh, was banging a child towards the end of his life who looked a lot like Fermina did when she was a child. Uh, a child relative. Yeah, who a little then, Lolita-ish. Who then kills herself. Yeah. Yeah, actually, it is Lolita-ish. But we're also supposed to feel for him as a character, much like in Lolita. So you don't, you're not as repulsed by it, you know? Like, he's won you over at this point. Mm-hmm. So you're like, ah, yeah, gotta, gotta get some tail, I guess. He's, he's technically the, the protagonist, but he's also kind of just a creepy weirdo. Oh, yeah. For decades. Well, that's one of the things, right? So is this book a love story? You know, like, on the surface... It's it a stalker would, story. It would appear so that this is a great, beautiful love story, right? About, like destiny like this was the the star-crossed lovers or whatever and then life took them in different directions but their love endured right and that kind of the surface level years 
Yes. Like it was it's like the notebook, you know? Like it's so fucking real that it doesn't matter that they're old and his balls are dragging four feet behind him now. She wants to gobble those nuts still. But I mean her the truth is marshy she puss. didn't want to. Ugh. <laughs> she also didn't know what she wanted. And another thing is like the contrast. She knew she didn't want him. Well, she had two dudes apparently in her whole life, even though she's this hot, smart, capable woman. Which I guess in 1883, well, she got two dudes right is much better than a lot of women had. So, but the two guys are such opposites, right? Florentino is a romantic, and he's passionate, and he's a dreamer. And then uh, Juvenal is a like a man of science and logic and honor and modernity. Like there are these two different worlds that she's has to decide between. And also, the plot of the book takes place in these two different worlds, right? Like the the very archaic Colombia of the 1880s and the modernized Colombia of the 1920s where people are dying from eating shit water and then they're not, like things have updated though also it did say it said in the beginning that uh Ju- juvenile urbino was you know he was the biggest doctor but he also believed that all medication was poison and 70% of common foods made you die sooner so he definitely would have been like, uh, like Doctor Oz of Columbia. Yeah, <laughs> just need more enemas. Oh no, <laughs> everyone needs more enemas. Mo enemas, mo pooplums. No, sir, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure how to. I, I was trying to understand like what this was about, like what the point. Because if it's this is considered one of the great books, you know, this is. Definitely on the, the thousand and one books you must read list, but it's probably also on like mm-hmm. the hundred best books of the century kind of list you'll find. And part of that, frankly, is probably because it's one of the most famous, not uh, one of the most famous Spanish language books in the English speaking world. So people want to make sure we represent different writers of different backgrounds and stuff. But it's a are there really any fantastic. on the list that aren't this guy? Um, I mean, it depends on which list you look at, but I'm sure. I mean, it all depends on what you look at. That you'll get a smattering of Russian, French, German, and Spanish books, and this will. I mean, any any, any other one or years of solid. that aren't him. Can I name any from the 20th century? No, I couldn't even name I mean, you I, a I third book of his. I could not name you a third book of his right now, and I just downloaded some. <laughs> I can't even remember because <laughs> I was like, this. I fucking really liked it, so I want to read more of his stuff. But I knew a hundred years of solitude, and this, and that's it. Which I was kind of surprised yeah, that he won the Nobel Prize in Literature before this came out. You know, a lot of, and he died in 2014 or something like that. So he won the Nobel Prize in Literature and then had another 30 years of career, which is kind of rare. You know, a lot of people win the Nobel Prize in Literature at the end of their life and they don't really ever it's like produce a lifetime any achievement award kind of thing. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, look, look at the other people you can think of who have won it, right? And, Bob Dylan's the most famous real recent guy. Bob Dylan's no spring chicken. I mean, does he have <laughs> another uh, Mr. Tambourine Man in him or another, you know, uh, Masters of War coming up? Like, I mean, actually, there's, there's a lot. I, I can't actually I can't name too many other Nobel literature laureates off the top of my head. Didn't Casual that uh, Ishiguro? Yeah, I was going to say him. Yeah, which is weird. The guy wrote like six books. Um, I'm actually Wikipediaing it right now, and he's not even like actually like a Japanese language guy. He's just no, he's, he's a British, British guy. Japanese. 
I'm going to reveal that we actually don't know a whole shitload about books because I'm looking at the last 20 years of winners and there's like three names I recognize, but like nothing where I've even read any of their shit. Maybe that's just for like uber nerds. A lot of them are not English language writers, right? Uh, Aren't they often in other languages? Oh yeah, a lot of them are. So I'm looking back. There's writers from Austria, Poland, Belarus. Yeah, I've read all their fucking shit. France. Alice Munro is from Canada, so she writes in English, and she, I don't know if she ever won the booker, but she's nominated often. Um, J.M. Coetzee, South African guy who writes in English, he won in 2003. I've read some of his stuff. Uh, he's super duper famous. V.S. Naipaul won in 2001. He writes in English. He is a guy from the Caribbean, um, from Trinidad, and he writes a lot of like post-colonial shit. The Seamus Haney, the guy who translated Beowulf. Tony Morrison won 30 years ago now. Like A lot of these names I don't recognize at all. Could not tell you a fucking thing about them. The guy who wrote Lord of the Flies won it. But I just know that like, traditionally it tends to end up being, like you said, like a lifetime achievement award. You write it and then you die shortly afterwards. <laughs> it's it's the, <laughs> the, the people who... Sartre won it. Um, the people who win it tend to... like. Not they, their best work was already produced before, before they won the award. And Marquez might be an a, a exception. No, Steinbeck won it in 1962. All of his famous shits from like the fucking 40s. You know, like, yeah, he might have put 30s. out some piece of garbage. Camus, he won. Ernest Marquez Hemingway must have won done it. some good shit before this. Then I, I don't know. Well, 100 Years of Solitude from the 60s. Oh, maybe he won it just for that. They figure, oh, whatever else the fuck this guy does, he's going to get it. Eventually, let's just knock it out. We don't have anyone better this year. Nah, I think I think with the amount of people eligible, since it's everyone in the fucking world who writes books, it's they could be pretty discerning. <laughs> in any language, yeah. I mean, he he must have done a... I mean, yeah, I, don't, I only know those two also, but I'm sure people that are into this guy are like really into him. I might become one of those people. I don't know. I've never read any of his other stuff. Yeah, but for sure. I've been trying to read 100 Years of Solitude, but I could never find a free English version. Oh, my friend. Let me introduce you to the ways of BitTorrent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the library. The library, oh, yeah. obviously. I've checked the library. I must check a different library that Michael has. Precisely. <laughs> so uh, I think we're agreed based on... So if the question is, who should read it? The answer is everyone. Absolutely. Everyone. If you, I mean, there was a lot of books. Definitely, I got the the Oscar Wow vibe, but it also reminded me of Middlesex. It reminded me of yeah, uh, like Cavalier and Clay, grand a bit. sweeping narrative that takes place over a long time, and it's just like a, it's not a, it's whatever the opposite of a slog is. But the language of it is similar to the super flowery, dense language when. You know, like I, I, one of the great lines I remember from Middlesex. I mean, I'm not going to remember it verbatim, of course, but there's a line at, talking about the old lady, the grandma in the book, early on, and says she would do this whatever until she, you know, she was so like life full of life until she lay with it, hoping to die. Oh shit! Let me fuck it up. It was like she was lying in bed, waiting to die with great vitality, or something like that. Is how the line goes. It's oh, much better than I yeah, said. I can't remember that one. But you're like, oh, that's fucking an interesting line. Like, vitality is about being full of life, and she's trying to die. And like, you read that, and you're like, that's a really great fucking line. 
that stuck with me halfway, clearly. Uh, but uh, Cavalier, Michael Chabon's writings are the same way. Um, there's plenty of other writers who do that kind of thing, where it's big and sweeping, sort of in like a war and peace kind of way, but also beautifully written in where you don't mind it, where you enjoy it. Yeah. Like the story is interesting enough, but the language and the weird dis- discursions that happen throughout yeah. are interesting too. In less Napoleon. On paper, it's not very long. Apparently, it's like 380 pages or something like that, but it took me forever. Actually, no, it's more. I thought it was like 430. All right. I mean, maybe I'm, yeah. maybe I, I looked up the Spanish thing. It's pages you have to spend some time on each page, however many it mm-hmm. is, because it's not just like something you can like blow through. Because a lot of it isn't necessarily describing plot or anything that happens or anything that ends up meaning anything six pages later, but you want to read it. Because it's nice. So uh, tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Go to Twitter at drunkguysbc or Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you are interested in supporting us through these times of uh, world-ending diseases so we can keep reading from the safety of our homes and drinking without driving, please go to Patreon. You can find us there at Drunk Guys Book Club because that's our name. Uh, and if you're still drunk enough to be listening, why don't you just take a minute to leave us a review? Just make sure you round up to five stars. One for every 100 women Florentino fucked. It still wouldn't be enough. It still wouldn't be enough. <laughs> and also check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. <laughs>